without the IPO market being as hot as it had been for a number of years and kind of slowed down a little bit. The good news for us is that there's still plenty of work to be done in the revenue recognition space because those new companies, they do need to start taking things more seriously from an accounting perspective. Dollars. Dollars. Meaning you work with numbers? Oh, it's so much more than that. Modernization. By streamlining the process. So let's get right down to business. And modern problems require modern solutions. Elementary, my dear Holmes. Elementary. Consider it done. This is The Closers. This episode features an interview with Roxanne Brady, the national leader of digital solutions at Connor Group, and Jesse Fillerup, who serves as the technical accounting partner at Connor Group. Now here's your host, M. Daigle. Welcome, Roxanne and Jesse. Thanks for joining me today. So Roxanne and Jesse, we're going to start the episode with our Off the Ledger segment to get to know you a little bit before we get down to business. So let's roll. So kind of curious, Roxanne, how would you explain accounting automation to an accountant from, say, the early 1900s? I think I'd probably have to start first with women in business and how we got here. That's probably a longer story for them to understand. A woman actually being a partner in an accounting firm. But I think (laughs) once you get past that, (laughs) they would probably understand. They might be less shocked by some of the automation that we got in the future. I like that one. And also proud to say I'm here as well. So it's a very good thing. (laughs) I was just thinking about that question. There was some automation in the 1900s, right? They had cash registers and they had those machines that you pulled the arm back for the adding machines. My grandfather used to have one in his house. We have a long history of accountants in my family. And but things didn't change that much. Even in the 80s, I was, in, I was telling one of my interns yesterday when I was an intern at an oil and gas company, very large oil and gas company. In the 80s, they had just gotten off paper to do their consolidations the summer before. The previous intern had put them on Excel and they were quite excited about it because they no longer had to do the consolidations in paper. So even in the late 1900s, things weren't that automated. So there's a lot to, just a lot of progress in my lifetime. So having that conversation with somebody would be pretty interesting. It definitely is. I have to think back my first year in auditing with Arthur Anderson, which I've shared before on the podcast, and it does show my age a little bit. But the first year we actually had beepers, and which was kind of a crazy way to get in touch with us. We weren't doctors or anything, but we had beepers in order to talk to each other and get a hold of each other by phone, which is kind of a funny thing now that we think about having cell phones as like our mini computers. (laughs) We didn't have either. But we had those big laptops that were like the the sewing machines and the screen was oh, this yeah. big and it was gray. And the people that were more lucky, that was definitely the first years got those. Other people got something a little bit smaller, but not much different. It is amazing how much things change over time. And Jesse, what's the one stereotype about accountants that you feel people have or believe or think of that just really is not true? Well... I mean, I think we're all pretty funny, but I guess that's in the eye of the beholder to a large extent. More practically, though, I think generally my impression is that people think accountants just deal with and work with numbers all day long. And my experience is very far from that. Sure, we deal with numbers a lot and plenty, and that's an important part of it. But I honestly spend way more time writing than I do working with spreadsheets and numbers in my role within technical accounting, it's a lot of memo writing and supporting 
the decisions that a company is taking in relation to their accounting and documenting it so that there's a record there for the auditors that they can review and just a lot of writing. And then we're going to talk a lot about systems today as well. There's no shortage of opportunities to work with systems, come to understand them better. We don't just sit at a desk and crunch numbers all day. I can't even do my own taxes, let alone anybody <laughs> else's. So that would be another stereotype, I suppose. So one of my favorite questions to ask on every podcast, and especially since I've gotten so many different responses, so I'll ask each of you, how do you refer to the holistic revenue process? Well, we found that best practice is to use whatever nomenclature the customer chooses to use because that's what they're most comfortable and it <laughs> means what it means to them and we can easily fit within that paradigm. But for ourselves, when we're talking internally, we actually like to use the phrase opportunity to cash because it, it starts so much earlier than quote or order. It's all the way back to the lead and the generation of leads and the tracking of leads. And so starting at the opportunity threshold makes a lot of sense to us and works for us. And then we say cash on the back end, but frankly, we know that revenue does not coincide with cash more often than not. So revenue may even be after the cash point as well. So it's not a truly holistic acronym, OTC or opportunity to cash, but we find it's one that works for us and certainly resonates with our customers in a lot of cases as well. Yeah, we use the OTC in the parentheses through revenue recognition. That's it. <laughs> I think Jess and I have also the key people on, hey, that's really a very important piece you don't want to forget about. So I'm um, curious for each of you to kind of hear a little bit more about your current work. What has you interested right now? So Roxanne, let's go ahead and start with you. I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey. I know you were a controller, chief accounting officer. Then you transitioned into consulting specifically around these digital solutions and automation. Mm -hmm. So kind of curious if you could give us a little bit around your journey and why you got to where you are today. Yeah. And before I started consulting, every time I went to a new company, and I worked in Silicon Valley for 20 years, got my CPA early. But as I went to work in industry, every time I went to a new company, we either were needed to select an ERP or they had already started an implementation and it was kind of not quite going well. And I had to come in and help and fix it, right the ship on that. So I really, just really enjoy getting into an ERP. I'm very curious figuring it out, how it works. I can, I've taught myself on certain tools because I said, hey, I know how to do this in other tools. I can do this here. I can figure out how to do this. So I just always geared that way and I consider myself an accountant who loves systems. So bringing that accounting background, making sure I'm building something that's going to have debits and the right debits and credits, but really how to utilize the system, how to automate. I hate to see people having to do things manually. I mean, even down to one company I was in, a, the AP person, I came in one day and she had this long list that she was typing into books to issue our checks to our publishers. And it was 800, the payment time, that there's got to be a better way, right? So, I mean, we did a quick little macro that actually populated it for her and saved her days on that. So just any little thing to automate and to make your job more interesting and exciting because you can spend the time in the right areas. Yeah. It's such an interesting kind of transition that so many folks in accounting have made because of the introduction of all of this technology and what that's ultimately given folks as an opportunity to 
kind of widen their career lens over time, given the different aspects that you can get into. So, Jesse, similar question for you. You were in revenue accounting, right? And then how did you end up at Connor Group in the technical accounting advisory team there? Yeah, I actually worked for well over a decade with two different Fortune 500 companies within their revenue accounting functions. I spent a lot of time working on those types of issues and one of them acquired the other. So that's why I moved from one to the next. But after over a decade of those experiences where you, you are living through that quarter process and the quarterly close, just coming every three months without fail, it's like the postman and the mail, it just never <laughs> stops. And so I felt that I wanted to uh, maybe branch out a little bit and see what other things were out there. Really, if I just use one word to sum it up, I, I was looking for a little more variety, which coming into the consulting space really offers you that opportunity because you work on multiple clients. Each client has different issues, different needs, different challenges. And so it requires maybe, for, at least for me, it requires me to be a little bit more agile and nimble in my thinking and the way I approach things and not necessarily have such a degree of comfort where I was always sure what was going to happen from day to day. That's not entirely fair. Things change certainly within those companies, but you kind of knew what to expect week to week, month to month, et cetera. And now that's often not the case within the consulting realm. I think it's a really great point. And there are folks who actually appreciate the repetitive nature, and that's not a bad thing, right? Being able to understand what's coming and know, to your point, Jesse, week to week, month to month, what to expect. Maybe it's not the exact scenarios, but at least knowing how the calendar goes and what types of work needs to be done and when. So that's why I think it's so interesting how everybody finds their way, whether it's in more of a traditional revenue accounting team or maybe they start to get into consulting. So it depends on really what your interests are. And sometimes you may want to try a little bit of both. So I think that's great. Let's jump to the general ledger. Would love to get in now to hear a little bit about what your typical engagement with clients looks like. What kind of customers are you both working with and what kind of industries are you involved with? So we call our company or clients really high growth companies, high growth technology companies. And that definition of technology has changed a lot. So it used to be, you know, a software or a semiconductor, but now people are doing these with technology, service industry, right? Delivery food, delivery car services. So there's a lot of different things that happen in technology. So it's really these fast growing companies that generally have some kind of technology basis to help drive. So our in that in digital solutions, we're really just hitting the tip of the iceberg now with automation and data and integration management. So it's really exciting to see what we can build for clients in those areas. In the past, we would finish an ERA, ERP implementation. It was a big success. But you had a system here and now what do you use with that? How do you use that data? And how do you get more out of that? How do you get more reporting? How do you get more analysis? So we're really focused on adding that to helping our clients. So that's been really exciting to, to build that practice out and invest in that area with our team. You make a really interesting point around so many of the industries now do include some bit of technology. I think there are areas where if we were typically involved in maybe high tech only, now we're starting to get into 
fintech, biotech. There's pretty much like anything as a service these days. So it's been a really interesting kind of transition or to see that evolution over time and see all of these different industries really start to grasp on to the technology and what it can truly offer. So it's in, it's interesting to see how that industry may have, or the industries you were helping may have evolved over time and they're starting mm-hmm. to change a little bit or maybe get a little bit broader. So curious, what kind of patterns are you seeing? Is it anything specific to do with technology or maybe there's certain industries or segments where you're seeing some something come out of that that you're helping out with. Maybe it's around IPOs. Maybe it's around M&A activity. Anything that you guys are seeing? Yeah, I'll talk a little bit about some of the technology, and then maybe Jessica can talk about the IPO market and where we're seeing that. We're seeing people from a technology perspective. There's so many great tools out there collecting a lot of different technology tools. And now they have, this, they have a great CRM. They have a great billing tool. They have a great ERP. But how do all those speak together, speak to each other and have that consistent information going across so you're not, nothing's redundant and we're able to do data entry at one point. So even their home ground system. So that's kind of the specialty of ours too, is that most of our clients have a home ground system that needs to work with their CRM and their ERP. And so connecting those together. So we do a lot helping clients think about what that needs to look like, drawing out that picture of their technology stack and how that connects to each other and then help you build those connections. And then in relation to the side of the house that, that I work on more, because Roxanne and her team are mostly focused on the systems side of the house, whereas I'm more the technical side of the house. And it works great because Roxanne and I were able to really build off of each other in the ways that we serve clients and we have the technical piece where we'll help them. And again, I specifically focus on revenue, so we'll help them with their understanding the overall business model and how do we put that into a policy and then how do we then operationalize it from a systems perspective? And that's when we start to interact directly with Roxanne's team. We do use cases, that sort of thing. And it's been really beneficial, particularly right now, as we've kind of moved out of the adoption of ASC 606 phase. Companies have (laughs) certainly should have done that by now. And we're really addressing companies that are these high growth where they're just starting to realize, okay, I need to take the accounting seriously. We've just been focused on the product or the service and the growth, (laughs) but now we're starting to get serious about everything else. And so... The hope is that the IPO market soon rebounds because that's traditionally where we've done a lot of our work. But the good news for us has been that even in without the IPO market being as hot as it has had been for a number of years and kind of slowed down a little bit more recently, the good news for us is that there's still plenty of work to be done in the revenue recognition space because those new companies, they do need to start taking things more seriously from an accounting perspective. And even those that already have 606 adopted, maybe they've acquired another entity and need to look at their revenue recognition approach there. Maybe they have a very large contract that's complicated that they need to look at on its own merits. Or maybe they're just contemplating adding a new business model or a new offering to their current business model that they need to think about. That comes with the technical side and it also comes with the system side. And we often see, I mean, Roxanne's seen it more times than she can count. I'm sure the systems (laughs) may have been implemented at one point, but they weren't implemented holistically or completely or accurately even. 
And so even when somebody already has a system, there's so much remediation work that be done can be done. So we just, we see those patterns repeat themselves over and over again with, with our clients and opportunities to help them out and get stood up. That's great. Jesse, curious, because you've been involved in some of these projects where maybe a business or a company is thinking about a new business model, curious if you can think of maybe the most interesting or maybe the, the area where you least expected to see a new business model, but it seemed to pop up and you were kind of surprised by it. I know there's been some overtime when I see subscriptions offered for something like even coffee, for example, over time hmm. and, or tires, things that traditionally I wouldn't think of for a subscription. But curious if there's one that stands out to you as particularly interesting. It's funny that you mentioned coffee because I've actually worked on one of those entities, coffee subscriptions. <laughs> so yeah, you hit the nail on the head. And you actually mentioned earlier, we were talking about the types of industry, technology industry. And however, it seems like everything now has a technology aspect or component to it. You can have a retail entity, but you've got, you've got a retail group now that has the online component and the e-commerce component where, you know, as a younger person, I well remember the days when there was no such thing as the internet. And so everybody just went to the store and obviously now everything is about selling things online, managing through those processes and particularly the, this, I don't know that this qualifies as a huge surprise, but the absolute invasion, if you like to say it, of SaaS, where you used to have point in time deliverables. You used to have your hardware, you used to have a software license that was delivered on premise. And now even those companies that still do offer on-premise licenses, virtually everybody, not quite everybody, but almost all are also seeking to offer that SaaS offering as well. And that comes with its own set of things to consider, not only from a technical perspective, but also from a systems perspective, because the accounting for the two is very different and needs to be considered holistically. So is that surprising? No. Can I think of crazy SaaS ideas out there? Honestly, it just seems like everything is able to be SaaSified these days, if you like. So have stopped being <laughs> surprised, I think, at this point about the number of things that go on a subscription or SaaS type model. I think it's interesting too when a company has traditionally only done one thing, maybe they acquire another company that's a very different area, or they mm -hmm. add, they're selling t shirts now, and now they have this inventory of t shirts and they don't know what to do with it. It could be very, just not the traditional business that they've been doing month to month. So those ones are always interesting when you're building something from the bottom up as they expand in new areas. Yeah, the opportunities really are endless. And I love the sassified terminology. I think, <laughs> I think I'm going to steal that, Jesse, for sure. But I will give credit where credit is due, for sure. <laughs> so curious if one of you can speak to some of the common pitfalls or things that your clients are often struggling with that you maybe like to help out with or that you see come up very commonly. Data is the thing that we talk about a lot, right? Having clean data all the way through. And just not just in your implementation process, because we see that a lot, right? Maybe things were in Excel or they were in PDF, and now we're trying to get them into a system and trying to gather those. But once you build your systems, making sure that you have that common data model, your customer master, your item master, 
that you're using the same in all the different places that you have. And it's not just your CRM and your ERP. It could be your learning tool or your internal website, right? Where your customers are coming, especially in the B2C world, right? There's a lot of high volume transactions that you need to have a lot of data moving through. So you want to make sure that you can have, you have clean data going all, all the way through. So putting those in place and having the controls for those in place too really makes a big difference. Data seems to be the one thing that comes up over and over again in the conversations that I have on a day-to-day basis. And even as I have folks come on and join for episodes here, it's it always comes up as the one of the biggest pain factors that's common across so many different industries and companies. So it's really interesting. I feel like there's such an opportunity out there for data cleanup <laughs> that we just need to be able to figure out to be able to make things so much easier. Yeah. And there's more tools out there now too, right? We do a lot of it in Excel, but there's a lot of things out there that we can be using for that cleanup. Yeah. Now, when it comes to accounting automation, revenue process optimization, what do you think of as, I'll say, quote unquote, the perfect, I'll use air quotes, accounting tech stack? And maybe not necessarily solution specific, but just overall architecture and the blueprint of what you help to lay out and what you see really is the best accounting tech stack for teams to use. Yeah. So you're right. Not one tool or one name is really going to work for everybody. And we definitely see with our clients, they want the best of breed. They're technology companies. They want the latest technology. They're early adopters. So there's a mix of understanding what's out there and also try to true real cloud-based solutions. So you can have all of that. And again, I mentioned integrations a lot and bringing the data between the two systems, but that's where you can take that stack and have it really customized to what you, your company needs and what works for you. When you start thinking about like a B2C, that, that's a really good example too, right? High volume transaction. You want those transactions to be able to go quickly. You don't want to have too many touch points where people have to go in and make changes. You want to be able to accept sales very quickly. You might have a B2B client who wants to have a little bit more. There's going to be more touch points. There's going to be more discussions back and forth on your opportunities and your quotes. So thinking about what you need to be able to do and manage that. So there's lots of different ways to mix and match what's out there. Again, our clients don't tend to go the traditional, I want an ERP that does everything for me, end-to-end mm-hmm. opportunity to cash. They want to have a little different pieces in between. So we just try to help the clients pick what's going to work well in their environment, what their team is used to supporting, building those together, and then just really think about how to connect all of them. And do you see that there are some areas or maybe processes that are more automated, say, than others, or is it holistic? What do you think Mm -hmm. from that perspective? And it's always great to go into an implementation knowing that you're not going to be able to automate 100% out the door. So having really good, realistic expectations on that. So it's a lot of times it's the 80-20 rule. What can we, what's the major transactions that are going through? How do we get those automated. We leave the corner cases, those really large contracts that have very unique terms that are going to be, there's at some point they're going to have to be managed outside of the system. So looking for those opportunities to get those, the broadest contracts cover, say, in order to cash. B2C is a really good example. You really want to have that all automated all the way through because you, the high volume of transactions there. 
even from collecting the payment and recording the payment and all the way down to the ERP. So that's one where you want to focus on making sure can we get that process through our system very quickly turned around so we can start recognizing the revenue. And what do you think about when you think of the ROI of automation? A lot of times this is a topic that comes up and a lot of times there's a soft cost or maybe it's more of a qualitative versus quantitative ROI. Curious what you both think about when it comes to the ROI of automation and how you help clients either justify that or start to define what that looks like. It's really important when considering ROI to think through the entirety of the business. And as Roxanne mentioned at the beginning, that you're not going to automate 100% right out the door. So you determine the most important pieces first. Where are you going to get the most bang for the buck, if you like to use that terminology? And so you get the largest value add right out of the gate. That's the critical place to start. Now, if you're a smaller entity, you're probably just focused on getting bills out the door. You're just, a lot of times you're just trying to keep your nose above water, getting those bills out so that you can get the cash in. So they're probably going to want to start with a good billing system. That would be common for us to see that. Accurate setup of their SKUs, customer identification. So the bills are sent appropriately to the right customer in the right amounts making sure that's all appropriately set up within a billing system. And then ensure that for good ROI, you want to ensure that your systems aren't slowing down the business because the business, you want it growing, you want it moving rapidly. And so you need to have the type of system that will be able to grow with you, will be able to scale so that it's not causing the bottleneck, but that it's allowing you to function as efficiently and as quickly as possible and help you grow. So in those ways, the ROI is often can be easy to see because you become less reliant on individuals and it's easier to withstand turnover as people get other opportunities, they choose to do something else and lesser need to hire more people as you grow. So it's not so much usually about losing the people that you have or making them redundant, so to speak. It's more about building on that base that you have. And not having to be worrying about hiring so much as you're growing because you can scale based on the systems that you have in place. And that's a critical area to look at when you're thinking about ROI. Now, I agree. I think I was telling a story earlier about my AP person manually entering transactions. And as we grew, we implemented a full ERP. We went from, I think, $15 million in revenue when I started to over $100 million in revenue. And we still only had one AP person because we were wow. able to automate a lot of her processes. It's a great thought. And I think sometimes it comes down to things like, or traditionally what I hear with ROIs is trying to think dollar for dollar. But when you think outside, just in the way that you both were talking about is around the teams and what are you actually allowing your teams to do outside of that. And so it's freeing up the teams to be able to maybe do something a little bit different. Maybe you don't have a single point of failure if somebody does look for a new role because the systems will help to continue to take care of that process in the meantime while someone else is hired, or maybe there isn't even need for hiring depending on what's going on. So I think that's a really interesting point of view there. I think a helpful point on that as well is it does allow people to have the opportunity to make their careers more dynamic. Roxanne, this AP individual that you mentioned, you kept one AP individual but presumably at some point they'll probably want to move and it would be relatively, I wouldn't say easy, but if it's one person, you can bring in another person and train them. And then that AP person can move rather than 
we need to just, we now need five AP people. You've got that one person who has had that experience, can train somebody, and they can move to something new because the technology, the scalability has afforded, as you mentioned, has afforded an opportunity for us to focus on other areas where the humans can bring more value add and the systems can handle the repetitive things. It just opens up a lot of opportunities for people far more than we think, oh, well, it's going to replace people and we're going to, we're going to have to lay off people and that sort of thing. That's not what we find to be the case. It really opens up people's career opportunities when we have better, better scaled and more efficient systems. And Jesse, to that point, it's interesting because I think what it can also do is help with job satisfaction. Something that I've talked about in the past was it it may help you retain talent, too, because rather than maybe being in some of those more repetitive tasks, it gives somebody the ability to learn maybe a new way to look at the data. Maybe it's using the data in a more strategic way or being able to work with other teams in a more strategic way that gives them a feeling as though maybe they don't even need a new job or a new role. It just almost automatically opens the doors to something different that maybe somebody hadn't thought about before because they are given that opportunity to think outside of that that repetitive task. So I think that's a great, a really great call out. That's a great use for AI and robotics too, right? So I love doing a good reconciliation, but Now we have so many tools that we can automate those processes so people aren't spending their time doing the matching and the reconciliations, but the analytics of it and helping the business think about what's the decision process that they need to be making. How We've been looking at AR and churn for years now, but now we can use automation to predict that churn and maybe intervene with your customers before they churn. What are some of those metrics that you should be looking at? You have access to how many tickets they're opening up, how long it takes them to pay their invoices. So what's that telling you about the clients that have charged? Can we take that information and use it to prevent rather than using your time matching transactions and entering AR collections? Yeah, I think of it as being more proactive as opposed to reactive. It's something I say over and over again, but there really is something to be said for the opportunity to get into that position and kind of flip the narrative. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Now, we know that a lot of these initiatives that we've talked about, whether it's an ERP replacement, maybe it's IPO readiness or some sort of automation implementation, they're typically complex. They take time. So how do you advise and help your clients to justify some of these investments into technology for maybe their CFO, CAOs? And what would you recommend to our listeners if they're really struggling to get buy-in from executives on these kinds of projects on how they can move that forward and make some real progress? Yeah. And we see a lot in our technology clients that the money, the investment money goes into building their product, right? And building their customer base and that accounting and it gets left behind and maybe they're still on QuickBooks or they haven't moved forward in building out that, that automation for revenue, for revenue or for just accounting in general. So I think helping the draw the picture of what it is that we you need. So what is what should a company our size have in their technology? How much automation should we have? And the controls that those that the automation brings not only makes your job better, but it makes it more accurate. And as you start be, to think about becoming a public company, you want an audible 
automated system that has excellent controls in it. So you might, you need to upgrade that stack. So thinking about all the different things of what a public company needs to be and how your technology supports that, how it supports the growth, thinking about when a new product is launched, how long does it take us to be able to sell that product? We can, there's a great return on your investment if we can turn that around much more quickly before breaking your, breaking all your systems every time you want to launch something new. So there's a really good story for the CFO to lay that out when you think about where you are today and what the picture you need to be in the future, especially as you grow and become a public company and then laying out what that step is. And you don't have to do it all at once. So what are the phases of this implementation that we need to do across our improvements? Be able to get bring good estimates on what is this investment going to cost the company and understand. And and as you grow, it just makes more sense because those that lack of controls, you could end up with a an unforecasted revenue drop, or and that some something that you need to report that could end up dropping the value of your shares over time, right? So you could lose a lot in those areas. So really investing in having those systems to support the company to grow, to be able to do your reporting, to be able to have accurate forecasting, that's really going to make a big difference. That's a great point. Now, in terms of partnering with the business teams, maybe it's those cross-functional teams, what would you recommend to our listeners and to your clients about how to partner with those? And it's kind of two-part. I'd like to ask first about partnering with those cross-functional teams, but then also want to dive in a little bit more in partnering with accounting teams within finance and NFP&A as well. So maybe if we kind of tackle that that cross-functional business teams question first and then jump into about how accounting teams can partner with finance and FP&A, for example. Yeah, that's a critical point, actually, because we spend a lot of time, and rightly so, talking about systems and how they can garner efficiencies for us and just offer so many improvements. And that all is 100% true. But there's a human side to everything as well. And it's really important that, well, I've seen too often where there is an almost adversarial relationship between your sales teams and your accounting teams. And that's just not a healthy environment for any of the folks to be in. And it's not going to get a company to where they want to be as a general rule. And so what I have found reaps rewards for entities is when they take those opportunities to ensure that, and particularly, again, I'm coming from the revenue recognition side of the house. So when I think about the accounting and the working between the two, that that's where my focus is. I have seen real benefits come from ensuring that the sales, at a minimum, the sales leadership, and sometimes even the individual sales reps receive some level of revenue recognition training. Like, why is the accounting function so spun up about this? What, what's the big deal? When they start to understand a little bit what the nuances are, what the framework of the revenue accounting guidance is and why the accountants get worked up about X, Y, or Z, then it becomes easier for them to understand, okay, well, if I changed my approach to a sale just in this way, if I tweaked it, we'd still get the same benefit from the sale, but it would make things function or happen in a way from the accounting perspective, but would also be beneficial to the company. And so I, I find that just ensuring that whatever levels they are, whether it be sales, legal, your ops teams, really any of those 
to give them enough understanding of the revenue recognition guidance that they recognize how and why the accountants take it so seriously, but also that they know enough at some point to raise their hand when they're when a contract is being negotiated or whatever the case may be and say, hey, I don't know everything, but I know enough to remember that we may want to talk about this and not to belabor the point, but it's also where a really sound deal desk function where it's bringing in those folks from the different areas to ensure that things are being appropriately discussed and approved across those functions in in that deal desk format really pays a lot of dividends as well. I have to say, in my own day-to-day, when I am on a forecast call and I hear a sales leader say something about, we can't do that because it breaks SSP, it makes my heart so happy and I'm so proud in that moment. <laughs> well that we've yeah. Exactly. And yeah. it really does open up the dialogue and the negotiations between the finance team, the accounting team, and when sales is maybe getting a bit more, I'll say, creative, to put it in a positive light. But when I hear that, it's then you know that sort of enablement and that training to the sales team has gotten through. It's making them pause long enough to think about, does this make sense? Is this going to be a problem? And how does it help me structure my deals? Yeah, Yeah, I think we're never all going to know as much about revenue recognition that Jesse knows, but we don't need to, just so as long as we have enough of the outline so we can identify those things. Yeah, and... You see the big companies, they have a lot of that function. A lot of their leaders understand that. But the smaller companies that particularly Roxanne and I work with, they're just in the process of starting to figure that out. So a lot of what we say here, people who've been around for a while, they're like, yeah, that all makes sense. I get that. But we don't see that having been created in the early stages of the company a lot. So it's a really good practice for these companies that are growing to start working on putting in place. Absolutely. Now, what would you recommend accounting teams do in terms of partnering internally with their own finance and FP&A teams, for example? Is there anything there that you oftentimes give guidance on? Uh, as mentioned, I think training is the biggest thing. And probably if you're talking about finance and FP&A, maybe they want even a little bit more training and understanding of the revenue recognition guidance. But it's really about, if you're talking FP&A, it's about knowing when those questions should be asked. We, we don't need a ton of experts. That's not beneficial to anybody. But we do need, not maybe not everybody, but we need a significant number of folks in within those FP&A and finance functions to have that general understanding that, that we all work together. We all help each other out. Okay, I recognize this here. I can talk to you about that. And I know that on the back end, you're going to be recognizing things that are going to help me too. So just helping each other really come to an understanding as to what the different groups do so that we can be another set of eyes and ears really within the finance and accounting world for each other. As we end here, I just wanted to think about the future of accounting. Now, final question. I'll let either one of you take this, but what should we as accountants be talking more about? I think automation, getting off of Excel. So if we're all have such a crutch and a dependency on Excel, what are the ways that we can use the new tools that are out there to, to automate those things, the steps that we're doing in Excel? They're going to just give us, it's going to be faster. It's going to have more consistent results. So I think as much as we all love Excel, 
what can we do to move on to some new tools to help us in our day-to-day job? No, I definitely echo that. I agree with what Roxanne has said. We're naturally a little bit resistant to change. (laughs) So Excel has worked for years and years. So if it's not broke, don't fix it. All those old sayings that we have that we like to tell ourselves. (laughs) But the truth is there are so many tools out there now that people just may not be even aware of, but there is something out there that is going to work for people and will do all really help do all of these things that we've talked about today, automate things, free people up to have those more dynamic careers, look to be offering other types of value to their companies rather than just jockeying an Excel spreadsheet for the entirety of their day. Some people want to do that and that's great. I don't know that it's ever going to, well, at least not imminently, it's ever going to, it's going to go away entirely, but we're definitely moving that direction. And uh, people should be prepared for that and looking to other ways that, uh, that the company can benefit from automation and add value. Could not agree more with both of you. Well, Roxanne and Jesse, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a true pleasure chatting with you and look forward to having you both back again. Thank you. It's been great to be here. Thank you. I appreciate it. Listeners, my DMs are always open to you. Please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn at mdaigle, that's E-M-D-A-I-G-L-E. Links are in the show notes and stay in touch for more episodes and insights for other revenue and accounting leaders. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time.